Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. Thank you for joining us this Saturday evening. I am Jason Kong, and alongside me, representing Transitions Life Care, Cooper Linton. Good evening, Cooper. Always happy to be here, Jason. Yes, no panels are falling off the uh, the wall right now. It's always a good sign. Well, uh, let me run into some. I'll knock something down in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, sitting next to him is Nicole Bruno, representing Transitions Guiding Lights. Good evening, Nicole. Good Saturday evening to you. You got a, a new word for us, right? I do. With- well, I actually have two. Okay. I know. This is breaking news. This is breaking news. Michael has taught me two new words. The first word is... Michael, your son. My son. Sonic. Sonic. And there's a motion with this? There's a motion. You need to take your arms and flip them behind your back and poke your hands up in the air. And you move around really fast. But it means like you're like ultra awesome if you're Sonic. Okay. So this one requires space and speed. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then the other one is cringe. Cringe. If you're cringe, you're terrible. Oh. Yes. So we don't want to be cringy today. Okay. So we want to be Sonic, but not cringe. Yes. We want to be Sonic, not cringy. We need to publish a a, a dictionary of some sort so that everyone can keep up with our new terminology. He's very careful not to say these words around me now because he's worried I'm going to start using them. Then he has to come up with a new word because he won't say them once I start saying them. That's that's unfortunate. And now that we've broadcasted over 50,000 yeah. watts, I'm, yeah. I'm sure he's uh, he's very excited about yeah, that. Yeah, I tried one of these words out on my son. I said, is, is, is that the cool thing to say? He said, right up until right that second, <laughs> it was, and now it never will be again. The expiration date was that <clears throat> moment. Yeah, that's how you know that your child is outpacing you with vocabulary. <laughs> but I have to say, you still have the coolness factor, factor uh, Jason. My son heard you on the radio last Saturday night. And he said, is that Jason? I said, yeah. He said, he's cool. So you're still cool. Well, I've got one person fooled, and that's <laughs> that's really all I need for, that's for right, my that's ego. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, enough, enough of the fun stuff. Let's get to the serious stuff, which is still fun, though. We will uh, make, we'll try and make it fun, but you're right. We, we've got some serious things to talk about. And today, we actually wanted to address a topic that sometimes gets overlooked because we don't think about it, mm-hmm. or it gets ignored because we prefer not to think about it. Right. And it really deals with mental illness in the geriatric population, our older population, which many of our listeners, our caregivers are dealing with. Um, And coupled with that at times can be substance abuse. And we're familiar with these mental illness issues and substance substance abuse issues going hand in hand in the younger population But sometimes there's this false sense that, okay, well now here's your Medicare card and all of the social issues just vanished. Not so much, unfortunately. And in fact, it becomes far more complex. And so we have with us today Sharon Kilpatrick. She is with Kilpatrick Care Management. Um, Also, the geriatric care managers, as some of our listeners may remember, are now called aging life care specialists because we'd like to throw as many acronyms and phrases in front of people as possible. (laughs) Anyway, Sharon has joined us this evening to talk about some of these uncomfortable issues because she specializes in dealing with this as a geriatric care manager or aging life care specialist. Sharon, welcome to the show, and thanks for being willing to talk about the uncomfortable. It's great to be here this evening. Um, Yes, these challenges are ongoing for older adults, and nobody wants to talk about them, including people in the medical profession. So thank you for inviting me here today. 
Well, and as a state, we have struggled with addressing the issues of geriatric psych or geri psych as it often gets called. Uh, and there's been a recent effort to increase access for geriatric uh, psych beds. But most of these folks are not residing in geriatric psychiatric hospitals. They're living in our community and our caregivers are working with them. That creates some challenges. And I think that's kind of your area of specialty, is it? It is. And often how these initially get identified as these are individuals that have, are living in the community and have been functioning. Um, and there can be two stratas of this, if you will. One is the person that has been living with mental health and substance abuse issues for all of their adult life. Um, and then something, some type of tipping point happens and they end up in our healthcare system and they end up without their substance of choice and no one really knows that that's been their substance of choice and they deteriorate medically very quickly and things don't go well. And then the other individual is one that has not necessarily had mental health or substance abuse issues long-term and some life-changing event, um, again, tips them over. It may be death of a spouse, um, it may be loss of a job, retirement, um, and they slip into a depression and then end up in having some type of substance abuse issues. So, so getting back to the uh, mental illness and mental dis disorder, as a social worker myself by trade, I worked a lot with older adults with, with these issues. And one of the biggest things I think that we face is that people often think, well, it's just normal when you get older that you're going to be depressed because, gosh, you don't walk as well as you walked and all your friends are dying and, you know, so on and so forth. You're losing control. So people just automatically assume, I think, well, of course she's down and of course she's isolating. Wouldn't you be if you were her? And so, you know, how do we help distinguish between, you know, sometimes when people are just slowing down a bit versus depression? Exactly. So when you're talking about someone that the onset is, is relatively recent, yes, there can be situational reasons for that. Um, but usually it's duration and depth of what you're noticing. And if it's really having significant impacts on what we talk about their activities of daily living, um, and it really lasts for a longer period of time, and they don't seem to be able to enjoy the things at all that they used to, then that's the time to get a professional involved. Sharon, you just used uh, two phrases to talk about the distinction between something which is really more a circumstance versus uh, a, a possible mental illness issue, and you used the term duration and the term depth. Can you, can you explore those two for us? So duration is often many of us go through periods of depression. Uh, grief and loss are normal parts. Transitions sees these all the time. Um, and we don't put definitive timelines of one week or two weeks, but we know for individuals, and that's the neat thing about working with older adults, is we usually have a timeline of how they've coped in the past. And we can see when in family will be able to say, well, mom had this loss in the past and, and she rebounded, and now this time we see she doesn't. So that's kind of our baseline for that. And then the depth of it is really the functionality is that people can be sad um, and can be acknowledging that they've had a blow, um, but they are still able to kind of keep going with their daily function. 
And when we see people going into what we call a clinical depression, they're not able to do that. They're not getting out of bed, they're sleeping all the time, and they're not participating in any of their families. I think one of the things that are often a huge challenge in treating mental illness as people age is are the other comorbidities, the other types of diseases that they have that may affect the ability to receive proper treatment for the mental illness. Um, sometimes medications for your mental illness interact very poorly with other medications that you're dealing with, with for your heart disease or your Parkinson's or your Alzheimer's. And so that makes it really, really tricky in, to, uh, to help that person feel better mentally and then also deal with the physical things that are going on. What are some things that you're seeing in the next minute or so uh, talk about um, on how we can help that situation? Well, I think that's a big component of it is that I try to do a lot of education with the medical staff themselves because a lot of people in the medical profession don't really look at the whole mental health component mm -hmm. and they don't really want to prescribe the psychotropic drugs that can help because it is very challenging to manage that in a family practice or internal medicine Especially setting. falls. I mean, Correct. people are really worried about falls and falls Blood pressure changes yep. and those sorts of things. So those are really challenging. So that's why I always encourage individuals to work with a geriatric psychiatrist mm -hmm. to really, because they know the medications and they know what can be worked out so that the physical health issues can still be addressed but they can get um, chemical relief for their mental health issues. I think when we come back from the break, one of the things that I'd like to, uh, to explore are maybe some common symptoms of depression for folks that are listening that maybe can identify what's going on with a loved one at home. Yeah, you're going to want to stick around for that. Our guest this evening is Sharon Kilpatrick. She's the uh, aging life care specialist and geriatric care manager for Kilpatrick Care Management. We'll continue our discussion in just a second. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. I am Jason Kong here on News Radio 680 WPTF. Cooper Linton, Nicole Bruno alongside me, and our guest this evening is Sharon Kilpatrick. She's the Aging Life Care Specialist with Kilpatrick Care Management, uh, Aging Life Care Specialist uh, you may recognize as a geriatric care manager. And before the break, Nicole, we were getting into a, a discussion about depression which is something that you know we've seen time and time again is something that's just kind of underreported and not really talked about in this community. Definitely and you know uh, you know uh, Sharon mentioned definitely before that depression can be situational where you have something that happens and you sort of get into a funk and you get out of it and you might need a little little help just to get you over the the hurdle there but then there is much more chronic type depression where you may have had it long standing throughout your life. I'd love for the listeners to understand, you know, what depression may look like in an older adult, because just like with a bladder infection, this what you may see in an older adult is a little bit different than me running out of the studio every five minutes to use the bathroom at my age. Um, depression also looks a little different in an older adult as well. So if you could highlight for us some of the, some of the things we might be looking for in a family member that might be showing some signs. Yes, because... Again, we often look at older adults and say, well, they're 80 and 
they're tired all the time mm-hmm. and that's normal. Sure. Um, well, isn't it? And so sleeping all the time and taking those frequent naps during the day may just be chalked off to their age when in reality that is a key sign of depression. Um, and just because they're not going to their bed to sleep and they're sleeping in their recliner in front of the TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and then significant changes in their interest in their personal care. Um, so a lady that has gone every week to the hairdresser to get her hair done and now is calling and canceling that hair appointment mm-hmm. um, and is going a month without getting her hair done. Um, gentlemen that never had a beard um, and now go a week or two weeks without shaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and avoiding family situations. So um, individuals that used to love to go to Sunday dinner and now are making excuses of not going to Sunday dinner. Um, or even the little, I call them white lies, mm-hmm. of they're telling um, their adult children or, or their friends. family that they're going somewhere and you believe them because they would never have lied to you in the past. And then you have reason to go by their house and their car is there and they're in there. And they, did, they deliberately lied about not wanting to go out. So those are more serious and significant Mm -hmm. signs, and especially if those last, as I say, over a month or so. Also, appetite changes, weight loss, those types of things. And another thing for the listeners to to understand as well is that the symptoms of depression can also mimic symptoms of Alzheimer's or dementia. And so some of these things, like um, we're all known as reversible dementias, if, if a person is depressed, they may be displaying a lot of things that may, may, might make you wonder if perhaps they actually have a cognitive impairment. And then when the dep- underlying depression gets treated, suddenly that underlying cognitive impairment improves as well because depression can also make you have word finding difficulties, um, definitely um, ch- change your memory, those sorts of things as well. Correct. And, and you're talking about if you're nutritionally compromised, mm-hmm. then obviously we know that that inf- impacts your, your ability to process information. So um, dementia is a mental health diagnosis, but we also know that, that when we do the reversal with certain types of other mental health, like depression and anxiety, we see exceedingly fantastic results with cognition. So it isn't necessarily a normal part of aging. Correct. And if I recognize then that my loved one is at least exhibiting some of the symptoms of this, may or may not be dealing with it, that really needs to be assessed by a medical professional. But what do I do now? I mean, I, these, there is something you can do about it. There's interventions that can improve quality of life, both for the person who's dealing with this, but also for the caregiver who's trying to take care of the person who has mental illness, how do we get started? What do I do now? If I say, okay, I think there's maybe an issue in in my household with an individual who, uh, that I'm caring for who has mental illness, possibly they're showing some of the things that we've talked about on the show. What do I do? Well, the good news is that there are partners out there. So, I mean, the first step would be if they have a primary care physician is to always start with the primary care physician. Um, and explain what you're seeing, be very clear about what you're seeing and why you think it's different. Um, And hopefully that primary care physician will be happy to make referrals. Um, The good news that in our community we have organizations like Silver Linings that do in-home mental health. So if it's difficult initially to get someone to leave their home to go for counseling services, 
Um, we have somebody that will come to them and they have a psychiatrist and they are reimbursed through Medicare. Um, so, but sometimes it requires a little deeper discussion because the individual may not really believe that they need assistance. And where with a physical situation, you can usually convince them to go to the doctor or go to the hospital. It may be harder with the mental health issue. And I still think we're dealing with stigma, especially with the older adult population where you were seen as somebody who was weak that needed help from the mental side of things. And, and you know, there were really bad ways that people were taken care of many, many years ago. And I think that is still fresh in people's minds. So how do we help an older adult, if I was a family caregiver listening, reach out for that help or accept that help? What are some things that we can do from a strategy perspective? Well, I think the first thing is always talking honestly about it, because I think there is that stigma. And if the family members are honest and open about it, and and I think the first thing is always to say that it may not be a medication issue. Um, we, we know today that pushing medication is not the first, and, and it may be talk therapy. It may be just kind of getting a reboot in the community. So I think talking honestly and having having a very open conversation about what you're seeing with that individual and then engaging and then sometimes it does take another individual coming in from the outside that stranger that comes in and says yes you need to you need to have some help. I think caregivers also often struggle with the fact that they they don't feel heard when they're talking with their loved one. And to your point that they may need someone from the outside to bring credibility. I mean, and it's not just in families. You, you hear companies do this. Hey, we had to bring in a consultant to tell us that water's wet. Okay, I understand <laughs> that. Um, but it was having someone from the outside who didn't have uh, the perception that there may be an agenda involved and who has that frank conversation with a patient to say, look, there's something we can do to make life better. And no, this isn't normal. And no, this is not being sad. This is actually depression. I mean, we all understand sadness, but we don't always understand when sadness becomes depression or you're dealing with bipolar or schizophrenia or substance abuse blending in with this and to the earlier discussion, the confusing, confusing components of blending various forms of dementia with it. So I, I agree that bringing someone from the outside sometimes calls the question, if you will, and takes it from a family discussion to, hey, we need to do something. Um, silver linings is an option. Are there some other ones? Are there some other options that people can seek out? Um, we are fortunate in this area that um, UNC has a, a very good um, GERO psych program. Um, so we have lot comparatively speaking into other areas of the country, we have some very excellent options. And then there are psychiatrists and psychologists that are in private practice that specialize in older adults. Um, so it's a matter of kind of coordinating. And yes, I think bringing in that um, independent person and, and then if the older adult gets angry at them, that's fine. But you have moved them off the, the situation of just sitting in their home and you've gotten them to be evaluated. And sometimes it's really literally a matter of opening that door and letting them see that there's a new life. I know that uh, a company like yours also can help an individual. We talked a little bit between segments about how 
working with an older adult with a mental illness can be sort of a difficult challenge and a lot of people aren't willing to take that on. So I would love to talk a little bit more about how your services might assist a family who's really struggling with how to work with their loved one in the best way to improve their quality of life. Yeah, and we'll do that in just a bit. Our guest is Sharon Kilpatrick. She's the Aging Life Care Specialist of Kilpatrick Care Management, and we will continue our conversation in just a bit. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care, here on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. Find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong, Nicole Bruno, Cooper Linton, and our guest this evening, Sharon Kilpatrick. She's the Aging Life Care Specialist of Kilpatrick Care Management. And Cooper, we've touched on some things that are usually not... uh, dinner topic conversations with your family, mental illness and substance abuse and aging communities. And, you know, we've learned some signs to look for and maybe some first steps to take if we do identify them. And those are kind of critical to helping solve this problem. They are very critical first steps, but then you have to do more than that. And on the show, we have talked about aging life care specialists. We've talked about geriatric care management but when you complicate the, the situation of caregiving with mental illness and or substance abuse, and the reality is they, they often, not always, but often do run hand in hand, the need to have some outside assistance to support a caregiver in this journey is critical. Uh, not everybody wants to do this. It is, uh, Sharon used a term when we were off air, just said everything's very messy when you add mental illness and substance abuse to the conversation. So folks want to know, how do you deal with that mess? And Sharon, walk us through a little bit as, as an aging life care specialist who does deal with mental illness and does deal with substance abuse. What are some of the things that you can do? How do you get them done? And how do you help caregivers navigate what may seem like uh, just a, a total morass? Well, unlike some of the um, more typical geriatric care management cases, a lot of this involves talking off-site with the caregivers um, before and after the initial assessment with the older adult, um, understanding the history, and then really working with the caregiver. And sometimes, just like in some advanced cases of dementia, having the caregivers step away for a while. And that can be a period of a few weeks. It can be a period of a few months. Um, And letting the professionals, including the care manager that's involved, walk with the older adult through the process of starting to get healthy again. Is that basically disrupting the previous dynamic and trying to introduce some new people and new approaches to handling the, the, the disease process? It is because we know with mental health and substance abuse issues that the person with the disease is very good at manipulating and they have learned how to push the buttons of those caregivers. And so the caregivers really need a time to rejuvenate and get healthy themselves. So I always encourage them to seek their own 
professionals to help and work with them, and it should not be the same professionals working with the older adult. They need their own support system. So this is multifaceted. Part of it is is the mental health and medical intervention for the patient, also for the caregiver. But then there's sounds like you're touching on respite, really, kind of an extended respite for the caregiver to allow them to kind of reset themselves to be better prepared to step in again. Correct. Just like the conversations you have when they're dealing with dementia, that the best thing is a timeout. Um, the best thing can be a timeout for those with mental health and substance abuse. It kind of breaks that cycle that they've been in, which they may have been in for years, and get, lets everybody have a time with the knowledge that the older adult is being cared for and that there is somebody monitoring the situation. So how do you overcome the component of caregivers who often, through a period of being people being so dependent on them, feel like nobody can do this but them, how do you get them to step away? I have very honest conversations, and, and they can be some sometimes very difficult, and they often end in tears. Um, but what I say is, and it's the same conversation we have with spouses that are caregivers over a long period of time, that if you break down yourself mentally or physically, you can't be a caregiver. And so if you want to be in this for the long haul for this older adult, then you need to need to take care of yourself. So Sharon, if you wouldn't mind, talk to us about, just so that people can get a, a better vision of what's going on here, who the typical client is. And I know there isn't a one particular, but just give a general scenario because folks listening might be wondering, you know, is my situation enough to use outside help like yours? Um, it can be uh, three typical. One would be when um, adult children have invited a parent into the home and that parent is doing fairly well when they move in and they slowly deteriorate over time. Um, and pretty soon it's almost like the adult children are being held hostage in their own home because they really don't know what's going on and due to the paranoia and the erratic behaviors, they're really being held hostage. Um, the other is that an individual is living independently, either in their own home or apartment. And as I described before, they just slowly shut the world out and it's almost impossible for somebody to come in anymore, including even caregivers. We've had um, home health agencies that basically the person won't even open the door for them. Um, and then the, th the third is kind of the dramatic one that's a lot easier to handle because it's really the crisis mode. And that's when somebody's in observation at the hospital and the hospital is saying they can't go back home to the current living situation. And that's when you're called in. So unlike the mental health services, are your services paid for by Medicare? No, unfortunately not. Geriatric care management services are private pay or in some cases long-term care insurance covers those. Okay, and this is just something that we like to talk about generally speaking on the show because folks want to have an understanding. Is this something that uh, for, for the most part, people pay, you know, 20, 30 hours a month for, or is it, you know, how, what, is, what is an interaction with a, a person like you look like for that family caregiver? Again, the family caregiver and the client drive that. I would say that for my clients that are, are dealing with mental health and substance abuse, it can be pretty intense up front. A lot of hours are involved. And when I say a lot, I'm, I'm saying 20 or 30 a week initially to get the situation calmed down and, and done. After that, if they ask me to stay involved for ongoing maintenance, it can be as little as a couple of hours a week. So initially, in the first month or so, it can be 20 or 30 hours a week. So it's pretty upfront heavy as you 
try and assess the situation, create an intervention, uh, and begin to set a plan that is long-term sustainable. And once that phase is passed, essentially the, the cost of being of sustaining that plan or maintenance, if you will, falls off considerably is what it sounds like. Correct. And it's about building the relationship with that client as well and getting them to other resources. Um, and that can be support groups, uh, including AA and NA. So a lot of it is very expensive up front, but the long term can be much less expensive. And, and, and AA is Alcoholics Anonymous, Anonymous and NA is... Narcotics Anonymous. So both of which are related to substance abuse. Correct. Do either of those groups, and this is my own ignorance speaking, is there, do either of those groups have specializations in older populations? Um, there are groups, that they don't necessarily, because it's, it's a group that is peer support, but there are groups that are primarily older adults, and so that's one thing that a care manager can help them locate is connect to groups where they may walk in the room and feel like, hey, this is my it's peer a peer group of my peers as opposed to people who are who have a similar uh, illness trajectory, but they're also in a similar age group. Okay. Correct. I'm sort of wondering, because we have interviewed other folks who um, do the same work that you do as you know, a general practice. What exactly about your group is different than you know, some of the other practices in the area and why folks might feel like you would be the best match for them? Well, personally, I have over 30 years of experience, primarily with substance abuse and, and mental health experience. Um, originally, I'm um, trained as a substance abuse professional in Ohio. Um, so have worked with the older adult population for a long time. But also, because it is a messy and the family dynamics can be very complicated, many of my colleagues are not as interested in working with that mm -hmm. population. Um, and so honestly, a lot of my colleagues in this area call me with referrals once they've identified that this is the situation um, and suggest that I work with that. Sharon, if listeners want to get a hold of you or find more information about Kilpatrick Care Management, how do they get a hold of you? Um, the easiest way is through the Aging Professionals website, um, um, acl.org. Um, also, um, my local phone number is 330-240-2048. Again, that phone number, 330-240-2048. Sharon Kilpatrick, she's the Aging Life Care Specialist of Kilpatrick Care Management. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. It was, it was a, a great conversation. If you missed any part of uh, our interview with Sharon, you can head over to WPTF.com and head over to the Aging Matters section, and you can find this episode and every other episode that we've done as well. A quick break and back. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care here on News Radio 680 WPTF. To Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. This show is made possible through the support of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. I'm Jason Kong, representing Transitions Life Care, Cooper Linton, and representing Transitions Guiding Lights, Nicole Bruno and Cooper. We haven't talked about Transitions Guiding Lights uh, in depth in a while, and I think it's time that we uh, we remind everyone just what the heck Nicole does all day. Right. Well, I mean, she doesn't just sit in the studio doing a great job. There, there's some other things going on. 
no, in all seriousness, we, we, we cover a lot of topics on this show, which is really part of the mission of Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights, is to have an educational component to our organizations. And, and that's a major part of what drives this radio show. Part of what people need education about, though, is resources. And there's often a concern, as we bring up on the show, that people can't afford resources or there's a fear that they can't. And sometimes we just forget, we take it for granted that people know about Transitions Guiding Lights, which is something we know everybody can afford because Transitions Guiding Lights doesn't charge people for access to their services and their care. And we tend to gloss over it in efforts to talk about other subjects, but we really need to spend some time focused on this. Sounds like a plan. So, Nicole, start us off. If people have not heard about Transitions Guiding Lights before, mm-hmm. what is it? How, do you, how would you describe this? And then we can go a little deeper into it. So, well, you like to describe it sort of as the Match.com for caregivers, which is kind of a... Yeah, without <laughs> the romantic part. <laughs> yes. well, they, they skip not, all the yeah, romance, yeah. but it's helping great people get connected to other great people. Definitely, definitely. So we have, um, we provide information, referral, education, and support to the family caregiver, which basically means you give us a call and you tell us what's going on in your life, as jumbled up as it may seem in your mind. We have some great folks that work for us that can take what you have look at it and say, based on the things that you just told us, we have some suggestions of some resources, some referrals that we can give you that will help you in your caregiving journey. So whether that's perhaps, you know, connecting with a geriatric care manager like we just spoke with, or connecting with a a support group because you're feeling isolated, or maybe even it's time to look at some adult daycare services or some assisted living in an alternative living situation for your loved one, we look at what your loved one uh, needs, what you need, what the financial resources are, and then based on all of those pieces of information, we give you some strong referrals that we think would be a good match for you at no charge. And so when you start talking about matching folks Mm -hmm. to resources and helping them connect to individuals or organizations that uh, following that interview to understand their needs or you, you feel are able to assist these caregivers. We often talk about the vetted vendor. Mm-hmm. And w- what does that mean? Uh, because we, you know, I can look online and I can do a quick word search and find yeah. out who is a nursing home in my area. Right. So what's different about vetted vendors? Well, what's the different about vetted vendors? And then also what's the difference about other types of referral services that exist? And so without naming names, I'm not going to do that here on the show. Oh, man. No, it just wouldn't be right. But um, we put our vendors through a process. Anybody can apply to receive referrals from our organization as a, as a professional organization. So say I was a nursing home in the area and I wanted to potentially re- receive some referrals from us. They fill out a form. Everything starts with a form, right? And then they go through an interviewing process um, by myself and our referral specialist. We check references. And then based on that information, um, we put them in our database. And then when a family member calls, we look at what their needs are and match it up to what that organization is able to provide. And that's what helps us make a decision on who we refer to. What we do not do, which a lot of referral services out there do, is we do not receive a referral fee. So what that means is if we refer you to XYZ Home Care Agency, 
um, they don't pay us a fee for giving them that referral. And a lot of times when people go online and fill out, uh, I want information about how to support my loved one in the community, they're put on a list and basically their name is sold over and over and over again to many different organizations. And then once that organization actually converts that person into a paying client or resident, that facility has to pay um, the referring agency a big fee back as for, for receiving the referral. That is something that we do not do. We are a nonprofit 501c3 charity organization and that goes against everything that we believe. We want to look at all of the types of resources in the community and make the best choice for that family caregiver with that family caregiver without financial incentive back. Yeah, and the other thing that you're doing is, you know, you're not just uh, interviewing these agencies and companies and then just forgetting about them. You're constantly staying updated on what they're doing and what they're offering. I'll get emails from you, like, forwarding interesting Uh stories at, like, 1 o'clock in the morning. Like, oh, well, Nicole said it again. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But you're you're constantly connected and checking Mm -hmm. and updating, and and that's just an invaluable resource to people. Right, yeah. So, obviously, once people become on our list, you know, tomorrow the information on the list becomes outdated. I mean, that's just the nature of the business. So we regularly check up with our organizations and they come and meet with us. They have lunch with us. They let us know what's new and different about their organization. Uh, and we, we really want to keep our information as valid as possible so that we can give the very best referral to our families. And then after the families receive a referral, we follow up very regularly with that caregiver on how that referral is going. And then we also see if there's other types of services we can put into place so that that family doesn't have a crisis in the future. So Um, You know, it's really, we do wrap our arms around that family caregiver as much as they want us to. Obviously, if they want us to stop calling them and they've got this for now and they tell us that and we stop. But if they want a little bit more hand-holding approach, we do that as well. We are not a geriatric care management company. We do not take over your case and stay involved on a very deep level forever and ever. But we do do a lot of assistance with families up front to get them connected to resources that can help them in the future. I often think of Guiding Lights as the place you call first. Uh, You're not sure where to go. You're not sure what options are out there. You're not sure what you can afford. You're not sure whether there's a fee for something or not. There's really no downside to starting off with a call to Transitions Guiding Lights, talking to the referral specialist. And that conversation alone can be informative to a caregiver as to understanding the breadth of what's available in our community to help them navigate this caregiving journey. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that very first phone call, we feel that the stress when that when the phone rings and that person is just completely amped up. But by the end of the that first phone call when somebody actually hears what's going on and can make some semblance of the issues, we definitely feel that that uh, level of pressure relieves off that family caregiver and it's very beneficial. And so this also ties into why Transitions Guiding Lights and Transitions Life Care have partnered to do the caregiver summits we've Mm -hmm. recently done the two uh, one in raleigh and Mm -hmm. one in durham Mm -hmm. and some of the same people that are calling for assistance may want to come on site for a day of respite they may want to come meet vendors Mm -hmm. in person uh, and uh, they can do that through the caregiver summits we have one coming up in the not very distant future Mm -hmm. 
August 22nd at the Friday Center in Chapel Hill. And if you attended Raleigh and Durham, just so that you are aware, the agenda for the day is actually completely different for the Chapel Hill Summit. And our partners are slightly different as well. Um, partners for that summit are Transitions Life Care, Transitions Guiding Lights, and the Alzheimer's Association. And they've been an amazing partner. Uh, this is our second year doing the summit in Chapel Hill. And registrations are really coming in strong for that one as well. well. And last year was our first time to try the new format. Yeah. And it was extraordinarily well received. It and was. to your point, standing room only in the it, rooms. It quite was frankly. standing room. You walk into rooms and you go, holy Christmas, look at all the people standing here. But it was awesome because mm-hmm. they, you knew they were getting things that they desperately needed. Mm-hmm. It's very affordable. And it is a different format than Raleigh and Durham. So if mm-hmm. you've gone to the other ones, consider going to Chapel Hill as well. Definitely. And a big part of our mission at Transition Scouting Lights is educating the community. That's why this radio show is so important. That's why the vetted vendor program that we do with our referrals is so important. That's why putting on those super huge conferences, while they're extremely labor intensive, they're also extremely important because caregivers need knowledge and knowledge is power. High impact in our community, and that's really part of a role. I do encourage folks to reach out to Transitions Guiding Lights. Uh, I've recommended many personal friends and family to utilize them and have found they have found it to be extraordinarily helpful. Thank yeah. you. And if you need to get a hold of them, you can go online, guidinglightsnc.org, or you can give them a phone call at 919-371-2062. That's 919-371-2062. If you need to get a hold of Transitions Guiding Lights in the coal, tell them you heard it on Aging Matters, where a care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Don't forget, as we mentioned before, you can register for the Caregiver Summit, caregiversummit.org, to register for the Chapel Hill event. We hope you'll join us again, same time next week, Saturday night at 7, to catch Aging Matters, the care and comfort that surrounds you here on News Radio 680 WPTF. <laughs>